Well, good morning. Let's find our seats and open our Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. I'm sorry? Well, hopefully we're going to be finishing at about 10 till. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for the gift of your word, for the gift of your Holy Spirit. Thank you that you have rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of your beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Thank you that you have not left us to our own devices, that you have connected, you have, we have died with Christ, we've been buried with him, we've been raised with him. And I pray that this morning as we consider the, the different pitfalls of the, the false teachers that we would see and that we would beware, that we would be on our guard, that we would not fall prey to these things ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, we considered the middle portion of chapter 2. And Paul, once again, is warning about being taken captive, about being kidnapped, about being um, sucked in through philosophy which is empty deception. It promises what it cannot deliver. And that philosophy was according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. And he is now going to flesh those things out. And so some of the uh, information that we would have as to what kind of error was being taught is going to be disclosed today because he's going to warn about three things. He's going to warn about legalism, he's going to warn about mysticism, and he's going to warn about asceticism. So we've got all kinds of isms to talk about today. Now legalism, let's just, let's just cover these. Well, actually, let's read our text first. And some of that, I think, is going to become pretty apparent. Colossians 2, beginning in verse 16. Therefore, as a result of Christ nailing the certificate of death that was hostile to us to his cross, and he's disarmed it, he's disarmed the rulers and the authorities, he's made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath day. Things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels, taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the entire body, being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments, grows with the growth which is from God. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, 
Why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men? These are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. So, when we talk about legalism, he's going to split it here. We've got legalism, we've got mysticism, we've got asceticism. So, what is legalism? Are we back to two weeks ago? I think we are. Okay, following rules. Okay. Okay, so we've got following rules and going beyond. When God gave the law, did he intend Israel to keep the law? Yes, he did. And in fact, how were they to keep it? Diligently. They were to keep it in every way. And so, was the law legalistic? Better not be. It better not be because Jesus, you know, what did Jesus say? Not one dot, not, not one jot, not one tittle of this law is going to pass away, right? Why, why, did, why did Jesus have to come? Okay, he fulfilled the law, something that we could not do, all right? There's nothing wrong with the law itself, there's nothing wrong with obeying the law. In fact, they were supposed to. The principles that God has given us in the New Testament, we aren't, we aren't bound to the law, but when God says you should not think too highly of yourself, but put the interest of others ahead of your own. So what should we do? Yeah, we should not think too highly of ourselves and put others' interests ahead of our own, right? It's a principle, but it's to be kept nonetheless, right? And so it's not just an issue of the law and, 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 and doing what we should. The aspect is of legalism is you're adding to it. And in fact, so who was big in the, in the New Testament? Who was big on legalism? The Pharisees, why? And what did they do exactly? Come on. Okay, so they love the approval of men. What else did they do? Okay, 
Okay, that last part is the important part. So they added, they came up with other things that they put alongside of Scripture and treated just like Scripture. And in fact, they elevated the traditions of men above Scripture. Uh, Jesus condemned them when they said, you know, the law says, honor your father and mother. But you say, well, the money that I have that I may have been able to help you with, that has been pledged to God. Hadn't actually been given. All they had to do was say, you know, this belongs to God, and therefore I can't help you. So you have negated the commandment of God with your tradition. So the idea there is that they have added to, it was a burden, uh, Jesus also told them, you, you tie these heavy burdens on people and you don't lift a finger to help them with it. Now, some of the things that they came up with, you can see why they did what they did. You weren't supposed to work on the Sabbath. Is travel work? Yeah, <laughs> ask the, the former flight attendant, is travel work? They said, well, yes, it is. And so, well, but you got to be able to move around on the Sabbath. And so in order to come up with a way in which people could move and yet not sin, what did they come up with? A number of steps that was called a... Sabbath's day journey, right? You would be able to go this far and not sin. Now, again, the idea was they don't want to sin, and that is admirable. That is. But when you, all of a sudden, when somehow what you're coming up with eclipses... Why did the Pharisees have such a problem with Jesus and what he did on the Sabbath day? He healed people. That's work. Well, I think you might want to ask the person who got healed. And, and he finally, you know, which one of you, if your ox falls in a hole on the Sabbath day, doesn't get your ox out? You're willing to do it when it benefits you, but somehow, if it benefits some poor peon that's not one of you, it's a problem. There is a problem, Pharisees. The problem is you. So the idea here of legalism is you're putting in requirements that are above and beyond what Scripture actually requires, and you hold fast to them. There's no room for maneuver. There's no room for negotiation. This isn't a matter of principle. It's not a matter of, of um, they're, they're taking a preference and they're making it a requirement. Does that make sense? Susie? Right.
Susie's point, Susie's point is it's a matter of the heart. Am I doing this to please God or am I doing this to serve myself? Now that is actually a fantastic observation because that applies to all three of these issues. It applies to all three of them. So the idea with legalism is legalism is a self-made religion. You are trying. Christ isn't enough. You're back into this idea of there's something else that I've got to do. And in doing, that is how I'm going to be scoring points with God. And so it's a self-made religion. It's the religion of human achievement. And so legalism, bad news. Because What's the problem with legalism? Say it louder. <laughs> All right, there's many problems. Okay, so it gives them the wrong mindset and the wrong paradigm. What else? What else is going on with legalism? Let, let, me, let me put it to you this way. Somebody who's pushing legalism as necessary for a deeper Christian walk, how are they going to portray these additional requirements? They're necessary, and there's something in here. I'm sorry? They're effective. They're good for you. Okay? It's to your benefit that you do this. What's the reality? Okay? Keep your finger in Colossians and flip back over to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5.1, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. The law is bondage. In fact, keep your finger in Colossians, flip a little further back to Acts chapter 15. Now, you'll remember Acts chapter 15. What's the big event in Acts chapter 15? The council at Jerusalem. And what's the issue at the council at Jerusalem? Say it louder. Gentiles are coming to faith. What do we do with them? Do we require them? Do they have to keep the law? Do they have to get circumcised? Do they have to be like us? That's the issue. And if you look at uh, chapter 15, verse 10, Peter is speaking. Start in oh, let's go back to verse 8. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Verse 10. Now, therefore, 
Why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? How did the Jews do at keeping the law? They didn't, right? And by extension, by saying the Jews, you can say the very same thing about the apostles. How did the apostles do at keeping the law? Not good, right? So Peter's point is, we haven't been able to do it. We who were raised with it, we who've had access to it our whole lives, we haven't been able to do it. Why would we require this of these people who don't have the benefit of the heritage, who don't have the benefit of the culture? Why would we do that to them when we haven't been able to do it ourselves? So the idea here is, again, you've got these people who are trying to push the law. Now, how do we know that they're trying to push the law? Back in Colossians. Therefore, verse 16, therefore no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. What in the world is he talking about? Who, who was concerned about all of those things? Jews were. Every one of those comes straight out of the law. Drink is, is a little questionable because there wasn't a lot in the law about drinking unless you were a priest going in to do your, uh, your temple or tabernacle duty. Every one of those things is about the law. Now, which part of the law would some say this belongs in? You ever heard this distinction? Have you ever heard a distinction made about the law? Say it louder. The ceremonial law and the, the moral law. Okay? Now, why draw a distinction? First of all, did God draw a distinction? Did God draw a distinction in the law saying, you know, this is moral law and this is ceremonial law? No, he did not. And if you have any question about that, ask the guy who was picking up sticks on the Sabbath day. Or, I, I, what did it say about one who would not celebrate the Passover? That man was to be what? Cut off from his people. God made no distinction between the moral law and the ceremonial law. People were responsible to keep all of it. So why would somebody make a distinction and come up with, well, this is, you know, if this is moral, this is right and wrong, this is holy and unholy, versus this is ceremonial? Why would someone come up with that distinction? I'm not talking until y'all answer that one. Okay, Andrew. 
Say it louder. Which would Christians keep? Ooh. It, no, no. Actually, he's right. He's right. Because, here again, now, here's the idea. If you split it up into stuff that's actually right and wrong and stuff that was only something that the Jews had to do, then the Ten Commandments still apply. But we don't have to be blowing trumpets whenever it's a new moon, and we don't have to be uh, having a Sabbath day. You know, it's interesting, uh, the Sabbath commandment is the only commandment not repeated in the New Testament. We don't have the dietary requirements. But you would have to still keep the others. And so again, and, and really where this is coming out of is the, the relationship of the church to Israel. That's where that comes from. And so the idea here is that um, the, the, this idea of legalism is you're, you're picking things that are going to make it to where you're better with God. You are, uh, you're more better with him, if I can use the bad English. What's the problem with that? Again, the big problem, the elephant in the room. If I have to do these other things, Jesus wasn't enough. Jesus wasn't enough. I still have to go through and do these other things. And so again, the, and then, now we'll go back over to the attitude of the heart. I'm just a, li, I'm just, I'm, I'm a notch above the guy over here who doesn't do that. Julia. Well, it is. Uh, now, so what they do is, so the question is whether the Seventh-day Adventists do, and basically what they do is their worship day is on Saturday, it's the, it's the Sabbath, and they keep it in the same fashion as was commanded in the Old Testament. Um, but again, you only keep part of it because what else was in the law? Right, so they're they're vegetarian. So they do some of the dietary things, but what they don't do is they don't do the sacrificial commands. They don't follow any of those, and so they again they pick through, and they say that this we're we're going to take this one, and this one over here, this one has passed away, and again it's 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 cherry picking to be able to go through and do that. The problem is is that. If you're gut, that's, that's why, Paul, if you take circumcision, then you have to take the whole law. You can't come through and say, I'm going to do this one, and I'm not going to do this one. You can't come through and say, you know, we can't do sacrifices anymore, so we're going to substitute this for sacrifices. No can do. Uh, Jim, you had yours up first.
Right. Okay, Jim's comment is that the Seventh-day Adventists, basically, they've taken the place of the Jews that they consider most Christians to be lawbreakers because we're not keeping the Sabbath in the way in which it was prescribed in the Old Testament. Um, yet again, I, and I can't remember, it's either 613 or 631 um, laws in the Old Testament. And so, again... If you have to keep one, you have to keep them all. And you don't have the ability to go through and cherry pick as to this. Um, and again, if you have any question on that when it comes to the idea of worship, go back and read about Nadab and Abihu. Day one of the tabernacle being in business, Nadab and Abihu were big shots in Israel. They were among the 70 elders in addition to being Aaron's sons. They were not knuckleheads. They didn't follow God's prescribed manner of worship and God incinerated them on the spot. Day one. So when God says, you shall worship me in this way, he meant it. And so, again, and we're getting tied up here on legalism. Here's the thing with legalism. As you go through, th these things are a mere shadow of what's to come. Now, what is a shadow? It's a hint of the real thing. And so it's used often as a metaphor in Scripture. It's being used as a metaphor here. Now, just as, as a hunter, what happens if I aim at the shadow? I'm going to miss what I want to hit because I'm aiming at the wrong thing. That's what these people are doing. They're aiming at the wrong thing. They want to please God, and yet they're off target. They're aiming over here at something that they can't hit because the shadow has no substance. You can't, you can't hit the target when you're aiming at the shadow. Now, this is not just a problem in Colossae. You'll find it, uh, Paul warned Titus about uh, the Judaizers in Crete. You'll, if you look in Romans 14 and 15, you'll see that this is a lot about how to handle preferences and giving preference to one another as you're going through and working things through. Uh, 1 Corinthians 8 to 10, you get into the concept, again, of preferences and the weaker brother. How do you deal with people when you have conflict over how you should act? Now, Paul would say that he was free to eat whatever because God had made 
all foods. They're all clean. There's not a problem with the food. It's not what goes into you that corrupts you. It's what comes out of your heart, right? So he could eat anything. But he did restrict himself. If he knew that in, if in exercising his freedom, it would cause another brother to stumble, then he said, I'll never eat meat again so that I won't make this brother stumble over here. There is something where you can go through and say, I am choosing to limit a freedom that I have because I'm doing it not because I'm better. I'm doing it out of consideration for a brother. That's different. Okay? In which case, what is he doing? He's loving his brother. That's what he's doing. He's not saying, I'm going to do this because it makes me more holy. I'm going to do this because I don't want to make him sin. Because if I do it and then he follows me, he's going to violate his conscience. And for him, that is what? That's sin. I don't want to make him sin because Christ died for him. So, I'll limit myself for his benefit. Now, we can keep going, but we're not. That's first. That's legalism. Now he gets into mysticism, verse 18. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels, taking a stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind. Stop right there for a minute. This is the idea of being dominated by your feelings and by things where no one can actually confirm or deny what you saw or what you think you saw or how you feel. Those things, they cannot be independently corroborated. This idea of worship of angels was actually a big deal in this region. In, in some of my reading, um, this was still going on 300 years later. And Michael, the archangel, was being worshipped specifically as late as 739, 739 A.D. So this was a big deal in the region. Now, what's, why worship angels? Okay, they're awesome, but there's, another, there's actually another reason why that they did that. And it, it goes back to when we were talking last week about... Um, the feeling that um, anything that's material is evil. So that's why Jesus, if he's the creator, he's a couple of steps, he's a couple of rungs down the ladder from God the Father. Because God's too good to have anything to do with creation. He's too good to have anything to do with something that's material. So Jesus has got to be down a couple of rungs. That's why he's prominent and he's not preeminent. So the idea here is that, um, oh man, hang on a second. The train just derailed. Thank you. So the idea of worshiping angels because I can't actually get all the way to God. So I'm going to worship, he, the angel's an intermediary. So I'm going to worship the angel. Now, where did, does that sound familiar to anybody? Yeah, the whole Catholic Church is built on that, right? 
because we're praying to saints. We're praying to Mary. You know, there's, there's an intermediary somewhere there between us and God. And so that's, that's part of it here. These guys, they're driven by feelings and intuition. And therefore, they want to initiate you so that you can see things the way that we do so that you can have the deeper spiritual experience. You've got to be initiated here in order to be able to understand all of this. This idea of being defrauded of the prize has to do with um, the false teacher is kind of a referee or an umpire. And when the rules get broken, he, you get punished because you're not doing exactly as you should. Now, there's actually a second way in which that happens because what happens as a Christian if you get sucked over here into this idea of, of the deeper life and, and the mysticism and, you know, being run by your feelings? Are you staying on track? No, you just got sidetracked. You have been diverted. You're on the side rail now. Is that going to affect your Christian life? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And so this idea here of self-abasement is a false humility. Now, it's a word that's normally used for humility. But it's not a true humility. And how do you know that? Well, if you look Hang on a second. Here it is. It's in verse 18. The end of the verse, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind. What what's he saying there? Object lesson. His head's puffing up. Is that spiritually attractive to God? Exactly. God's opposed to the proud. He gives grace to the humble. So when he's opposed to the proud, that means God's got his divine hat pin ready for somebody whose head has grown to a size 42. And so um, self-abasement is a false humility. Now, let's, let's just talk about something here real quickly when it comes to angels. Do angels like to be worshipped? No, they do not. Yeah, one did. Yeah. Yeah, look how well that's going to work out for him. In fact, if you go to, when you go to the book of Revelation, you'll find that Revelation 19.10 and 22.9, when John falls down at the feet of an angel to worship him, and what's the angel say? Don't do that. Don't do that. You worship God. And so again, sounds great, but it's not what God says. In fact, what are angels, by the way? Angels are ministers for who? God's for one, but also for those who believe. Angels are going to minister to us. Don't worship them. It sounds great. It's sin. 
don't do it. This emphasis on visions, again, now, and look, is that, does this happen in our culture? Well, how many religions are built on the idea of visions? So if you want to end up in a cult, here's your ticket right here. So, again, this idea of um, visions, and, and again, let's keep reading, verse 19. So, they're inflated without cause by his fleshly mind, and there's, there's a thought there that he's actually referring to a specific individual because these are, that, that is actually singular. And so he may be actually referring to a specific individual. Verse 19, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments grows with a growth which is from God. So in other words, we have set aside being in Christ. And in its place, we're substituting visions and feelings and touchy-feely and all of this other rigmarole. They're, they're holding to that and they've cut loose from the head. Well, what happens to a body when you cut loose from the head? It doesn't go well for you. And so, and again, that goes back, you can go back to John 15, right? We are in Christ. He's the vine, we're the branches. If we abide in him, we bear much fruit, right? And so again, it's this whole idea about they're promising freedom and yet you, they just decapitated you. That's not freedom. That's not freedom. That's bondage. You've given away life, and now you're stuck with something else. Legalism is about show, right? Going back to the Pharisees, they were about man's approval. They, they, were, they were in it for the approval of men. It made them look good. It's the same thing here with mysticism. It's looks, it's appearances at, this, at the sacrifice of reality. And he's not done. Verse 20. If, and this is one of those that you could, should, could be translated since, right? Because this is going back to earlier in the chapter. Since you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, now, you, if you go back, you will find that very thing in here. You're, you're being tempted according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world. You've been freed from that. You've been circumcised in your heart. You've been buried with him in baptism, so you're dead to your former way of life. Since you've died with Christ, you're no longer bound to these elementary principles. You're no longer bound to the traditions of men and the commandments of men. Why? As if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself? Now, <laughs> so, are they being forced What did he just write? You are submitting yourself. You're giving into this. 
You don't have to. You've been freed from that. So why are you falling into this? Okay, now this idea of asceticism, who, so asceticism is the idea of severe discipline. Uh, that's being disciplined in diet. It's being disciplined. Uh, it means, you know, since I'm, since I'm sinful, I need to inflict pain upon myself, discomfort on myself, so that it helps me not to sin. That's the idea, so to speak. So who in our current culture would be big on asceticism? I'm thinking of a particular religion. Pardon me? <laughs> okay, the Catholic priest. How does the Catholic priest do it? How is he required to do it? Okay, so a vow of poverty, a vow of celibacy. So in other words, if you go to um, 1 Timothy 4, you find that there are these who forbid marriage, who, you know, forbidding some certain things. And, and what do they do? What are they doing to themselves? They're setting themselves, themselves up for trouble, right? And so this again, think of a Buddhist monk. They don't own anything. They walk around in saffron. I've never worn saffron. I have worn a burlap sack. It was not very comfortable. I don't know why anybody would want to wear something like that. And so the idea here is by doing this, by making it where I'm not comfortable, somehow that is making me more acceptable to God. I am closer to God because I'm getting a rash from what I'm wearing. And it's just, it's, 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 it's so uncomfortable, and thereby it's making me more holy. Well, there's a problem. Number one, the decrees do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Now, you could go back to the Garden of Eden with this one. When the serpent comes to tempt Eve and says, has God said? How does Eve describe her relationship or the relationship that she is supposed to have to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? He said we're not to eat of it or to touch it. Now, when did God say anything about touching? He never did. He never did. Now, if you don't touch it, I suppose you can't eat it unless you're bobbing for apples. You know, so, I mean, on, on the one hand, you, you know, okay, well, yeah, okay, great. Yeah, if you don't touch it, then that'll keep you from sin. The bottom line is, is that that's the idea here. These people are taking things and they're taking it to another level here. Don't taste, don't handle, don't touch. The problem is you're talking about things that once you handle them or touch them or taste them, they're done. How many times, unless you're talking Gerber baby food, how many times do you eat something? I personally am not a fan of pre-chewed food. All right? I'm not. 
I prefer to do my own chewing. I still have my teeth. I prefer to do my own chewing. I was never a big fan of chewing something to give it to the baby. You know, I'll chew it up for you and then you can. I hope my parents didn't do that to me. Maybe that's why I don't like tomatoes. Never know. These things are consumed. They're consumables. Why are you getting so wrapped up about consumables? God's declared them okay. Why are you getting so wrapped up about it? Something that is on your plate now, and it's gone in a few minutes. Why are you getting so wrapped up about that? Because, verse 22, in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. Here again. So what's happening here with the asceticism is the same thing that happens with the legalism and, frankly, the same thing that happens with the mysticism. Somebody's making it up and then imposing it on other people. It's not enough for them to impose it on themselves. And again, that's how, and again, very quick rabbit trail. What are you supposed to do with your preferences? Live by them, but do not impose them on others. So, and I've heard this happen here on a number of occasions, happily so. Why do you do such and such? The answer that thrills my heart is when someone says, it's a preference. What happens when you start giving reasons for your preference. John, you, what happens when you, when, you, when you start attaching reasons? I thought you had your hands up there. What ha so, again, when I start, I, there are certain things that I prefer to do. I'm not going to tell you why. Why not? It's my preference. That's exactly right. That doesn't mean anything for anybody else. It's not commanded. It's something that I do to help me. Sometimes it's something that will put me in a particular frame of mind. So again, it's a preference. For these people, they don't have preferences. Their preference becomes law for somebody else. That's the idea here. And so in all three of them, it's about appearance rather than actual substance. Now you do have your hand up now. Okay, so the question is, does fa is fasting asceticism? Fasting can become asceticism when it becomes mandatory and it's and whatever the reason is for, all right? Now, um, 
there are plenty of things where you can fast and it is utterly appropriate. Utterly appropriate. When it talks about having a time of prayer and fasting where you forego eating so that you can focus on prayer because there's something that's really on your heart and you want to be diligent about that in prayer. That is a time when that is utterly appropriate. Um, and there's other things that you can do with fasting uh, that would be fine. It's when you start mandating it for somebody else, that's a problem. And then number two, why you're doing it. If you're doing it to be like the Pharisees so that they can go around Boy, I'd love to, love to help you there, but I mean, I haven't eaten for 12 hours. Number one, get over it, all right? And number two, nobody's really impressed with your quote-unquote spirituality. So, again, these things are about appearance. They're about shadow. It's not about the substance. And in fact, Paul is, he's setting up. This is the beauty of, of, of his, as he's writing. As he's going through and he's, he's taking on these different uh, heresies, he's setting himself up because chapter 3 is going to follow right on the heels of this and build off of it. So again, sir. Right. Sam's point is, is that these people are setting themselves up as judges. And specifically, not just judges of themselves, they're judges of you. And so again, you're required to do this. It's interesting, this, this verb, submit yourselves to decrees, that's the word we get our word dogma from. So when you talk about rule keeping, that is falling into here. And these commands, they're from men they're not from God. Now look, physical discipline to curb your flesh, there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, that is admirable. That is to be done. It's when it becomes the, the end rather than the means. All right? That's, that's where we, it's, it's, again, it's a self-made religion. These are the commandments, the teachings of men. And, and see, Paul even says this. These are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom, right? We shouldn't have a bunch of 600-pound Christians walking around. We, we should be disciplined in how we eat. We should be disciplined in how we engage. Our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. We should be mindful of that. But that's not the end. Does that make sense? And so again, this, we should have disciplined lives. But what's happening here in reality is these people are not fighting their flesh. They're feeding it. 
because the discipline itself becomes the lust. That becomes the slave master, the overwhelming desire. Mm-hmm. Right. 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 So, so Susie's point is, is that by, by doing it in this way, it's not unto God, it's unto themselves, and so their reward is now. The approval, you know, everybody looking around going, oh my, that, that is so, that is so incredible. Well, good, they got their, they got their applause, and that's the end of it, because just like for the Pharisees, right? They do these things for the approval of men, you've received your reward in full. Now, if you do it the way that God says to do it, then your reward is going to come from God. So again, all the way across the board, these false teachers are coming through, and what they're trying to sell, they are selling something that they advertise as liberty, as freedom. And what is it in reality? It's bondage. Just like Satan, if you eat of that tree, you will be like God. When in reality, what was the truth? You're not going to be like God. You're going to be like me. And so again, these people are deceivers. Forewarned is forearmed. And we are not immune to this. There have been issues that have wanted to creep in to our church over the years. And you could plug them in here. Things that are good. But you can turn them into something else homeschooling. There were some battles fought. And they weren't battles over the homeschooling. They were battles over attitudes of the heart relative to that. And so again, there's a lot of things that can be good, but you can twist them. And so we need to be on our guard. Questions? Sir. Okay. So uh, Brian's point is how do I, how would I respond to the idea of uh, I'm not making it mandatory. I have a preference. I'm not making it mandatory for others, but I am making it mandatory for me. Fine. M mandatory for you, but don't preach it. Don't teach it. That is something where I, 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 you know, 
do that before God. Okay. Right. So, okay, again, it's the attitude it's it's the attitude of the heart that's behind it. If somehow I'm doing this to where this is putting me a step ahead, you know, I I'm not your average bear Christian. Yeah, I'm more pleasing because I do this over here. I'm sorry? Right. Right. Okay, so what's the problem with the idea that it's making us more pleasing to God if we take this uh, extra step beyond what God actually requires? I'm sorry, say again? Okay. Let's, let's step back for a second. Okay. Can I be any more pleasing to God than I am right now at this moment? If I'm in Christ, no. And that is exactly right. All right. If I'm in Christ, I can't be any more pleasing to God right now. Because when God looks at me, who does he see? He sees Christ. He sees the blood. You can't get any better than that. So I, there's no better than perfection. There's no better than that. Okay, it's right. So there are some who feel that they're on the merit system. And again, I'm going to stop here in a second. It, it, and again, it's the idea that I cannot curry favor with God. Can't do it. Because, again, if I'm trying to do that, I, I run into a problem, right? My righteousness is as what? Filthy rags. And it's filthy rags. It's the kind of filthy rags that made you ceremonially unclean to where you could not approach God. What you were offering to make yourself acceptable is the very thing that made God turn away from you. And so again, you can't, there's nothing that we can do that somehow God looks down and goes, you know what, boy, that, I am so happy I adopted that one. Oh, look at, oh, look at him go. Oh, he's, you know what, I think he's going to be my second or third favorite. Not going to happen. Yeah. Look, if you run around and you see a false teacher carrying a bicycle pump, he's not fixing a tire. He's fixing his head. 
He's pumping it up. You don't want to go there. You don't want to go there. Yeah, if you ever see one of a, if you ever see a pastor in here carrying a bicycle pump up into the pulpit, time to say something. If you see something, say something. All right, let's pray. Father, we were chuckling here at the end, but the fact of the matter is it's not a laughing matter. This has shipwrecked men and women in the past. And so, Father, help us to be mindful that we're just as susceptible. It's only because of you that we're kept in the faith. But you've also given us your Holy Spirit to remind us of the things that Jesus has said. And you've given us everything that we need pertaining to life and godliness. Father, do help us to be diligent in our study. Help us to be diligent in our obedience. But also protect our hearts that we would not fall prey to thinking that somehow we've got to somehow earn something that you freely give. You have freely given to us. And so, Father, help us to be careful. Help us to be mindful. Thank you that you are so good to us. You've given us far, far beyond. We deserved judgment, and yet you have not judged us according to our sin. And so help us that we would worship you aright, that we would know you, that we would obey you, that we would love you, that we would honor you as we ought. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time of year. Lord Jesus, when you came and you took on flesh and you did it for us, help us to be ever grateful with hearts overflowing with gratitude. In Christ's name, amen.